Hey, this is really interesting to watch. I'm taking note that we actually got cheesecake for breakfast this morning. <laughs> we'll see how well you do in about an hour. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming out and being here. I, if I could, I want to direct your attention to your calendar in your notebook if you've got one, just to kind of let you see um, where we're headed. Counting this morning, we have uh, really five builds left. Um, March 7th is uh, the Shepherds Conference out in California. And um, I'm not sure, Tom, do you know if that's full yet? Did you? I have heard it's now. Yeah. Which is really pretty strange. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Has the bells checked? I, I just registered. Did you? Last weekend. Okay. Yeah, you guys are more than welcome to register. If you want, um, and there's probably, I think there's somewhere in the neighborhood, maybe 10 of us going out or so, maybe more than that now. But you're more than welcome to check that out, and, and um, you can just go online and just Google Shepherd's Conference. But uh, this morning we're on February 14th, and it says the heart, but we're actually going to flip this morning and the 28th. We're going to do the home this morning and then the heart um, on the 28th. And then on, on March 21st, we'll deal with the vision and purpose of our church, the God-glorifying cross-centered and life-transforming and then drawing in, building up, and sending out. I want you guys to um, have a session on that. And then the last two in April, we're going to devote to uh, Discipline 5, which we haven't talked about all year, which is the biblical, theological, practical. And the two, uh, the one thing we'll address in those two uh, sessions together is actually hermeneutics. Um, how to interpret the Bible. I want to give you a couple of uh, just two basic sessions on it to give you a framework from which you can approach Scripture and um, think about interpreting it rightly. Uh, H3 really goes in um, a lot more into how to study God's Word for the sake of teaching it or preaching it. And um, But we want to give you some foundational things there. I think it's really important for you to it could be argued that first you should give people hermeneutics so that they approach God's word rightly. Um, but if you read the Bible, the Bible's pretty straightforward. Um, if you if you read it, uh, taking it at its word, reading it in its literal normal sense, not a wooden literalism, but literal, but in its normal sense, you're going to get what the Bible says. And it's very important to begin first and, and predominantly with making sure that you're, you're shepherding your heart with the Word of God, um, that you're seeking to bring it to then your home and whatnot, and then we can get more in-depth on how to interpret it as we go along the way. So we're going to finish out the year that way. So I just wanted you to see that, kind of where we're going, that we're wrapping up, we're getting close to the end, we're over the halfway point easily. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to draw your attention to that. And uh, I want to. This morning we're going to uh, jump into um, something that's going to be specifically directly applicable to obviously the married guys. We're going to talk about husbands love your wives. If there's, uh, however, there's many of you that I know who are single who would, uh, are planning on being married. You hope to be married. Uh, you see that in your future. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I wanted to, to start before we, we pray this morning by. Um, maybe isolating 
Alright, we won't be able to do... I wanted to talk to D-Rob because D-Rob is... Uh, what, what is he? Two weeks old as a husband now? And that would be good. I, I think I think probably on the other side of the spectrum we probably have Bob. Bob, how many years have you guys been married? You in Maryland? 41 years. How many of you are... That's almost twice your age. <laughs> well, I don't do that to make you feel old. I make that. I say that to make these guys realize that. Um, wow, you you marriage goes on for a long time. What about you guys? Well, you're you're new, but how 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 many years of marriage do you have? Forty was my first wife. Yeah. Your first wife. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, Kim and I just reached a, a point. We're uh, 19, almost 19 years, and we just reached a point where we've been together more than we weren't mm. together, and so that was kind of fun to realize. We life is now more, uh, you know, we have more life together than we had prior to meeting each other. So it was kind of fun to go through that. But um, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, and then we have on the other end of the spectrum, if we have Bob and Marilyn, we've got. Well, I'll pick on Josh then. You're not married, but you are in a couple weeks hoping what? Getting engaged. Getting engaged. That's right. That's going to be exciting. Hoping. Hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know that before you came in, we were talking, some of the guys were talking about about your engagement party. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, what, what, kind of, what, would, what would happen to an engagement party if she said no? You probably have a pretty good gauge on things, don't you? That skinny, yeah. That's good. So I mean, we're look, we're at every, we're at both ends of the spectrum and of those two spectrums or those two uh, edges and and everything in between. So, um, anybody close beyond forty years marriage or no? Make sure. Good. Let me um, direct your attention to a, a quote that I'll uh, ref- make reference to now, but, and then also to the book a little bit later. It's from C.J. Mahaney, and I found this to ring very true uh, in my own life. He says, In my pride, I'm usually too confident that in most areas, including my marriage, I'm probably doing a fine job. Right? I mean, that's the way our... our indwelling sin works. No, we're okay. And or, and or we're blind. We just don't even see it. Typically, reality only dawns when I bring my wife into the evaluation process. Throughout our almost 30 years of marriage, very little growth in godliness has occurred in my life without Carolyn's encouragement, correction, and involvement. And if you haven't already discovered that to be true, you need to discover that to be true. And you need to discover that by um, inviting her, giving her, your wife a platform to address your life. And it means, uh, you know, setting aside time and and uh, making special dates where you can go and you can just ask her questions about what she thinks and sees about you as a man of God, you as a husband, and you as a father someday when you when you have kids. And she will bring encouragement to you, and she will bring correction to you, and she will bring um, just what you need to hear. God will use her to do that. Um, so don't 
eliminate that avenue of growth in your life, guys, um, by thinking, well, I'll just, you know, God and I will just, we'll figure it out. And God wants to help you figure it out, and he has a very precious, precise tool in which he wants to do that, and it's your wife. So make sure you, uh, you know, jump on that. So... And, and, and take advantage of your wife that way. In fact, maybe even today, tonight, whenever, whatever you're doing for Valentine's, you can work that into your conversation. Honey, what, I'd like to give you the opportunity to let me know what you see. I really want to hear you. CJ has a funny thing he says. He says something like, um, Honey, if you knew that I wouldn't get angry... What would you want to say to me? <laughs> Something like that. Right? If you knew that I wouldn't respond in anger. Um, so you can begin to shepherd your own heart now to be ready for that. <laughs> so with that, we should probably pray, huh? All right, let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these precious men and thank you for this day that you've made and thank you for this church. And we uh, rejoice to be under the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful that he is our shepherd, that he is our savior, um, that he is our substitute, um, that he would go to the cross uh, in order to bear away my guilt and your wrath um, and also go to the cross to purchase for me a new heart uh, that I could never make for myself or earn for myself. Lord, that is humbling and it is joy-filling. And uh, we're just grateful this morning that today is um, a day in which you will express your faithfulness to us again in fresh ways. It's a day in which we will discover your promises again to be so much more impressive than our own to you. And... Um, it's a day in which we can sit under your word at the beginning of it and, Lord willing, be transformed um, to know you better, to love you better, to understand your cross better. It's a day in particular as we think about loving our wives. It's, it's one in which we can um, grow in loving our wives better. And so we pray that you would come and that you would be merciful to our wives by being merciful to us. Um, Lord, it is humbling and it is sobering to think of what place um, and position and role you have given us in the lives of our wives. Because we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, who is adequate for this? Who is capable of this? And we trust that if you call us to this, you have equipped us to do it. For you do not call us or command us without giving us your grace and your equipping to do it. And so we look away from ourselves again and we look to you as we have the word open <coughs> and we desire to meet with you and for you to come and, and draw near to us and transform us so that we look more like Jesus in our marriages and in our lives. So thanks for this time together. We commit it to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder of the big picture, again, of what we are after in BUILD. BUILD stands for Becoming United in Leadership Disciplines. And the leadership disciplines are uh, really spiritual, biblical disciplines. 
uh, that we want to keep before us, and we have six of them that we aim for. We really major uh, in a on the first three to four, and disciplines four and five are, are there also. Or I'm sorry, five and six are, are there. Uh, we're not trying to neglect them, but we're just we found that over the, the years of doing this that we really need to put emphasis on. Discipline one on the heart, that you need to be men who shepherd your heart with the Word of God. And what we mean by that is not that you're just trying to get more biblical information, that you're trying to get more theological points to win arguments on, but that you are uh, shepherding your heart to the Word of God in order to meet with God there. You need to be a man who longs to meet with God. And that's not something that's so uh, ethereal and subjective, it's, it's, a, it's a pursuit of God in His Word. And um, yes, there is a subjective element to any relationship and we recognize that, but we're talking about you need to be men that are eager to meet with God and you do that through His Word. That then needs to spill over into the second discipline, which is the home, where you are caring for people in your household. And it doesn't matter, uh, obviously, if you're married and, and or a father and you got kids, that's very clear. If not, we encourage you to, uh, with your roommates, or if you live with parents, or if a guy lives with his parents, you know, you're, you take on the responsibility, learning now, of how do I care for these people that I'm with a bunch? And I don't want to play leapfrog over my home. I want to I pour out myself and what God is doing in my heart through his word. I want to impact people that I live with. That's good practice for that when the day comes when, when God does bring you a family. Um, Lord willing. And then as you're doing that, uh, discipline three begins to be strengthened because then you're ministering to uh, people in the church from a base in which you haven't neglected your heart and there's integrity in the way that you care for people in your home so that when you step into people's lives outside of your home, they go, I want to listen to that guy. I want that guy's input in my life. Because I see the kind of man that he is before he ever even got to me. And, and I want to live. It brings integrity to your relationships. And you learn to minister the gospel to people in Discipline 3 in the ministry. And then Discipline 4, uh, we spent a lot of time on uh, last week. And it, it was a, we spent two weeks on that, or two sessions on that, on uh, the qualifications, uh, deacon qualifications in particular, um, what it means to be a deacon. And we spent time in 1 Timothy 3. So we want to jump back into the home this morning and talk about husbands love your wives. So let's open up to Ephesians 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5. By the way, yeah, and, and, and here, are the, here are the house rules. Uh, there are no rules. You can get up and you can make yourself a home. Those of you who are visiting, or just to remind all of you, get up, get something to drink, get something to eat. You can make yourself at home. You can interrupt with questions. Um, and whatnot, and Tom will answer all your questions. So, anyway. By the way, we might be getting in, well, not might, when we finish Luke, uh, which I'm hopeful that it'll be in April, that we'll actually be done with the Gospel of Luke, or by the end of April, maybe into May. Um, I want to, after that, um, go in into Ephesians and, and preach through Ephesians on Sunday night. So this will be the the, chat, the book that we'll invest ourselves in next. And if you'll read through Ephesians, you'll notice that in chapter 1, Paul uh, 
finishes by saying some pretty amazing things about the church. Verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. And that sounds like a funny, what does that mean? Look, God has this very big, huge plan that he is bringing about through the cross of Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself. And when he means all things, he means all things. He's talking about universe, he's talking about creation, he's talking about human beings being... uh, redeemed and brought back to him and God put his son as head over all things and then there's this means this this tool through which he's doing it it's, it's to the church holy cow that is massive I mean that's like saying in the, in the throne from which he's going to do that in the command center that he's going to do that from I mean, you and I would think, well, where should he do this from? Where should he plot and plan and lead and, and orchestrate and carry out his plan? We would think of something really lofty and high and probably out of the touch of, of sinners where sinners can't get in and mess it up. And it's the church. Huh. You know, this is huge what God's doing. And you get into chapter 2, and he all he wants to talk about by the end is the church as well. He's talking about how... God broke down the barrier and he made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one new man, establishing peace. There's one body that he reconciled them into through the cross. Uh, You you get to chapter 2, verse 19. We're fellow citizens. We're God's household. We um, are, verse 21, this is a a building being fitted together. We are. We're a human building. We're a holy temple. We're being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. It's like Paul's thinking, how many different ways can I say the church without saying the church? You get to chapter 3, and then he just brings you right back up into the stratosphere. Verse 9, back up to verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given not just to save me, but to give, it was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that now the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. God wants to reveal his wisdom in the world through the church. And not just to people, but verse 10, to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, the powers of heaven angelic beings, powers, rulers uh, like that. God says, I want to display my wisdom to them. And again, I've got this means through which I'm going to do it, and it's us. My goodness, I mean, do we think small or what about the church? We always need to be expanding ourselves. You get to chapter 4, and Paul just loves to talk about the church some more. Um Verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, so that the saints who do that work of service build up the body of Christ. Um, We are to grow up, verse 15, in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And then you get to chapter 5, and he still wants to... Paul is just... He's fixated on the church. And he starts off and he talks about wives. Wives, 
You need to be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So, I mean, he can't even talk about marriage. In fact, he sees marriage as an opportunity to talk about the church. It's just amazing. And that's the point of marriage, is that marriage, the, the husband and the wife have this relationship together that is to reflect to the world some of the great realities of the relationship of Christ with his church. So why do you want to get married? It's a great question to ask young people who want to get married. Why do you want to get married? Uh, because we, you know, we just, we're compatible, and we, we just we fit because we're good for each other. And all of those kinds of answers, those are good answers. There's nothing wrong with those answers. You don't want to hear, well, we really don't like each other. We just we fight all the time. And that's why you want to get, no, you don't want to hear those things. But what you want to hear ultimately from a Christian man and from a Christian woman is this is an opportunity when we join our lives together to reflect Jesus Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Jesus Christ. We are given to that, and we want our marriage to be that. And that's something that, guys, we need to call ourselves back to all of the time. Oh, yeah, that's what our marriage is about at the end of the day. It reflects the, the, the church and its relationship with Christ and Christ and his relationship with the church. So let's read uh, verses 22 to 33. You're going to feel like um, this is more of a, uh, as you read it and listen to it, you're going to feel like Paul is really trying to say something more about the church than he's saying about marriage. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six times he mentions church. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And then here we go. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and he might that he might present himself I'm sorry, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then I love this. And Paul says, this mystery is great. And we would, we would go, yeah, that whole thing about becoming, you know, leaving and cleaving, and become, that is, that's mysterious how that happens. He goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I mean, see, he just, he's, he's, he just, he's church, he's just driven on this, and, and how marriage is this subordinate thing to the greater thing called the church. It doesn't mean it's not important, it means it's very important. It means all the more reason. Pay attention to your marriage because you get to reflect something about what God's doing with his people called the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to focus in on primarily verses 25. Well, we're, going to be, we're going to be in the whole passage. This is not an exhaustive exposition by any means. I wish, as I prepared for this this week, I wish I would have had more time and it just makes me eager to get to chapter 5 in Ephesians. But I want to just bring out um, some important things, I think, that, that are in chapter 5 and talk about what it means to love your wife like Christ loved the church. So 
We're going to start first, number one, with with the husband's love for his wife is to be, uh, at a minimum, five things. So this is what what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean for me to love my wife like Christ loved the church? First, number one, means your love for your wife must be cross-centered. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now let me help you, Paul says, with a little illustration of what I mean by love. I want you to love your... God wants you to love your wife like, um, well, like Christ. Love the church. And how did he love the church? Well, in particular, he gave himself up for her. There's the cross. He gave himself up for her. That's cross-centered love. So love is giving up yourself for another. It is self-giving. It is self-emptying love. That's what Christ did. He emptied himself, Philippians 2, in love. Self-giving, self-emptying, self-sacrificing love. Go back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Look, that's, those are words to whom? Who's his audience there in particular? In, in chapter 5, verses 22 to the end, he's talking to wives and husbands. Who's he talking to in verses 1 and 2? Everyone. Listen, all of us are to love each other as Christ loved the church. We are to walk in that love. So, um, But in particular, husbands are to do it as well in regards to their wives. So, it's, it's giving up yourself. Um, can I refresh my memory with Galatians 2.20? Turn there. Unless you've got to memorize and you can see it in your head. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, he's preaching the, the gospel to himself. Love is giving yourself up for the other. Uh, go back to John chapter 15, verse 13, just so that we have a kind of a, a scriptural grid for this. <clears throat> Jesus last night with his disciples. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So this is not a new idea. This is an idea that Jesus introduced. I want you to love each other like I love you. And there's no greater love that you could show than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus obviously is talking about what he's going to do at the cross, correct? So the bond of marriage, the the love bond in marriage is a self-giving love bond. That's what is to bind you together. That you would give of yourself, that you would sacrifice of yourself, that you would empty yourself out. The cross radiates that kind of self-emptying, self-giving, self-sacrificing love, and that becomes your paradigm through which you love others, especially your wives. and, And the reason it becomes your paradigm is because it, that kind of love, is actually organically a part of you. Spiritually, it's a part of you. It's not an example only 
that you say, oh, I see that example of love over there, and now I'm going to try to reproduce something of that that's like that to my wife or to other people in the body. No. Paul says, Christ is in me. That self-emptying love is now alive in me. And you are working that love, that self-emptying love, out through you. It's a part of you. The cross is far more than just an example outside of you. That love is far more than a, a love that's just outside of you that somebody else did. That love is alive in you. God is working out that love in you so that you express it to others. It's his self-emptying love that you are displaying to others, especially to your wife. Do you guys understand, do you understand the difference in that? Because there is, there is a movement, there's always been a movement, that wants to diminish the cross by just saying it's a good example. And, and people should just imitate the example. We are saying far more than that. God is calling us to far more than that. Because that self-emptying one is in you. And what does he form in you? What kind of love does he form in you? Something different than him? That very self-emptying love. And that needs to be at the, the, the core. Our love is to be cross-centered. Let's move on. Number two. A husband's love for his wife is to be God-centered. So again, we're talking about what does it mean to, to love your wife? It means you're going to love in a self-emptying way. It means to be God-centered. Now, this is more of a logical point here. Um, you're not going to find this overtly in the text, Paul actually saying it is to be God-centered, but I, I think it's unavoidable. What, what do we mean by this? I, I mean this, that our love for our wives is to be God-centered as opposed to husband-centered. Now, what's going to help you make sure that your love for your wife is not all about you? Well, the first thing we said, the cross. Because the cross calls you to die. To yourself. And so being cross-centered will, will ensure that you will not be husband-centered in your love. But we also mean God-centered as opposed to wife-centered. Okay? It's important to understand this. Some people, I think, when you read when you, or when you hear them talk about cross-centered love, they mean you die to yourself and your 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 all-consuming focus becomes your wife. And your wife's the recipient of this love. Don't get me wrong. And hear me out on this thought, because I want to make sure that. I, and if I don't explain it well, I want you to help me explain it better. But you get you can get the sense that as we die to ourselves, what we're doing is really becoming wife-centered. What is it that she needs? What is It all becomes about her, and we're putting her at the center of the love, and I don't think that's what God is saying. Any more than he's saying it's not supposed to be husband-centered love. Your love for your wife, she's the recipient of the self-sacrificing love you give. However, she is not the ultimate end for which your love is directed. You are God-centered in your love. Back up to what Jesus did for the church. Would we say that Jesus' love was church-centered? No, we might say it's church-directed, that his love was you know, moved in, in the target, in, in one sense, was the church, but his love for the church was God-centered. What was moving him to love the church? He had a goal in mind, and he knew what it was that the Father wanted, and he gave himself up for the church because he was moving for God. He was aiming ultimately at God. That's what we're meaning. Okay, so you're going to avoid being... Um, your love for your wife, it's not about you. 
And in one sense, we could say your love for your wife is, you know, in a sense, not all about her. It's about God. It's about God. Now, I know this sounds... Maybe we need some more clarification on this. Doug, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your wife is the... She's the primary benefit of it, obviously. Okay? But, and our next point will, will help pull this out some more. Let me give you another illustration. Can I do this? Parents, um, when they're parenting kids, can can vacillate. When you discover that your parenting is primarily child-centered, that you, you're just doing everything you are because you're letting the child dictate everything, there's a, there's a pendulum swing that we do sometimes. And we say, well, that's wrong. It needs to be parent-centered. And so now everything that I do for my child becomes about me and what I want. Because I'm the parent. I'm the one. And I say... Well, yeah, you've been given a role to parent and to lead, but don't we want our parenting to be God-centered? And, and, and what this does is it protects us from overemphasizing any one element more than we should. Um, we want to be God-centered in the things that we do. And to look, if I'm God-centered in my parenting, are my kids going to suffer? No. No. If I'm parent-centered in my parenting, could my kids suffer? Absolutely. And Christians can do this kind of stuff because they because they understand that it's you no know, it's the parents' role to shepherd the kids. It's not the kids' role to set the tone. That's right, right? It is the parents' role, but it's not about the parent. It's about God. And the same thing can happen with my wife. Look, I can my wife will suffer if I'm husband-centered in my love for her. And she still might suffer if I'm wife-centered ultimately in my love for her. But she will not suffer if I'm God-centered in my love for her. Is this making sense? Okay. Let me go on to the third point, and then hopefully this will even become more clear. Number three, and look, there is nothing um, uh, probably helpful about the way that I word these. Holiness aiming. Number three, your love for your Mm -hmm. wife needs to be holiness aiming. Probably an easier way to say it is just sanctifying. Look at verses 26 and 27. Why did he give himself up for her? Verse 26. So that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, do you see this avalanche of sanctifying words, holiness words? Look at this. Verse 26. Sanctify cleansed washing look at verse 27 in all her glory no spot or wrinkle or any such thing holy and blameless so think about it for Jesus to love the church that way tells us that he was thinking about something beyond the church the church his bride had to get somewhere to greater holiness. He, in his self-emptying, God-centered love for the church, was going to move his bride where the church needs to be. So it's in that sense that Jesus was very God-centered. The ultimate end was not, honey, what what do you want? And our ultimate end is not, honey, what do you want? What what, what do you need? You set the terms, you define the parameters, you set the goal. No, we're saying, 
Honey, I want to know what you think and what you need because I'm looking at God's goal and I need to know what you're thinking also. Do you understand? Our love empties itself out for our wives because we're thinking about where God is and who God is and what his aim is for our wives and it means that she must be on a progressive move in sanctification. Um, now listen, only, only Christ and his gospel of grace sanctifies anybody, right? But he has a tool that he loves to use and it's you, husbands. And, and the way that he wants to sanctify her, much like how Christ sanctified the church. And, and think about it. If Christ's self-emptying love had a sanctifying effect on the church, um, you should expect your self-emptying, God-centered love to have some type of sanctifying effect on your wife. I think that's what Paul's saying. But God has a tool that he loves to use to bring about that movement towards greater holiness, and that's you. It's you. So your love must be self-emptying or cross-centered. It must be God-centered. It must be holiness-aiming. You've got to be thinking. If you want to know what does it mean for me to love my wife like Christ loved the church, you've got to be thinking, I have to have holiness in mind for her. I really do. I've got to be aiming for that. Number four. Nurturing concern. Love. A husband's love for his wife is to be nurturing concern. Verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Um, your body doesn't feel dissatisfaction, emptiness, and hunger if you can help it. You nurture your own body. You try to satisfy your body. Um, she should feel, as she is on that movement of progressive sanctification through your love, she should feel full on the way. She should feel nourished and cherished. Okay, that's what's being said here. Your wife should feel nurtured on the way, not deprived. That would be a good question to ask her. Do, do you feel full under my love? She should feel cherished by your acts of love towards her. And we're not talking of just merely worldly, emotional, material, physiological satisfaction that she should feel or fullness she should feel, but we're talking about something very spiritual. I mean, she's, she feels moved to greater holiness and God-centeredness through your self-emptying, God-centered, holiness-aiming love. And that makes her feel very full. Isn't that why we have that is that why you, you, we need to exalt Valentine's Day? We want something much bigger, don't we? Absolutely. That's good. So a woman of God, listen guys, a woman of God feels cherished. She feels nurtured, not starved or deprived under that kind of self-emptying love. And that's what we need to do. Tom? Uh, I, through my years of experience... Uh -huh. uh, I've learned that the way to do that is to take a time each day, mm. just a few minutes each day, 
sit down and and just ask them that in a different way. Let them verbalize that back to you because they want to express their feelings. Right. We're logical. We say, you know, we can do this, and but they want to express it back in their feelings. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, then they feel the sense of nourishment. Yeah, absolutely. But if we don't talk, yeah, if we don't let them vent that, then they don't feel that. Yeah, and we're clueless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, and you, you know exactly where we're headed next. So you turn really the good. football game off and you don't go to sleep, but they get that. <laughs> That's right. But they've right. got to express it. Yeah, that's we'll good. Allow them to express it. That's perfect. You're, you know exactly where we're headed right yeah. after this section here. That's good. That's excellent. Okay, number five, lastly. And this is, this is going to be a no-brainer. You're going to think, why would you even say this? But I'm gonna, we're going to say it. It has to be husband-initiated love. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's stating the obvious. Husbands love your wife, so husband-initiate it. It needs to be husband-initiated. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 23 for this. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Look, being the Savior of the body, being the head, he made decisions. He took initiative. He led, and the body fell right in line. He leads, he initiates, he, he guides, he directs, he protects, he moves and the body follows. Um, our propensity as men is to function as any other part of the body rather than the head. And you can pick your body part. But the head gives direction. The head gives guidance. The head takes initiative. It's, it's leadership. And the head leads and all of the other parts follow. And when the head is functioning properly in your body, guys, when the, when the mind and the head is functioning properly, uh, the head doesn't lead the body parts into that which abuses the body parts. Right? The head acts as a protector, as, as protection, as, as security. If you're walking along and you see something that you're potentially going to stub your toe on and your mind is functioning properly and sees it, what does it tell the foot? Move. Step that way. Jump. Get out of the way. When the head's functioning rightly, the, the rest of the body, boy, it, it, it loves it. The head loves and it guides it in a protective way. And the parts benefit. And your wife is to benefit from your initiative and your leading. Um, and no one else can do that for your wife except for her husband. That's you. So you got to step up. Now, there are two things that I find in my own mind, and I think I've maybe wrestled with this, trying to put my finger on it, and I don't know how well I've put my finger on it yet. But there's a temptation in my mind when I think cross-centered. I'm self-emptying. I'm emptying myself out, that servant love. And when I do that, there's a, there's a potential in my mind to put away leadership. Because I'm just, I'm just serving you, honey. And you tell me... And I'll be your errand boy, and I'll do it all. Okay? Now, the question we have to come back and ask ourselves, let's go back to Jesus. I love Jesus, and I love the cross, because it settles every potential paradox. 
Was Jesus the head of the church? Yes, he was. Did Jesus empty himself out for the church? Yes. Was he schizophrenic? Did his headship prevent him from serving in a selfless way? Did his selfless serving render him no longer the head? So these two things are not in contradiction to each other. They're not in paradox. They are held wonderfully together. It is servant leadership. It is leadership that serves. It must be husband-initiated from you. You must lead as a servant. (coughs) Thinking of where God wants this marriage to go, where God wants this woman of God to go, where God wants this wife to go, where God wants this mother to go. I must lead, and I'm going to put a towel around me, and I'm going to wash her feet to help her get there. You understand? So after a week, theoretically, after a week of your wife being loved like this, cross-centered, God-centered, holiness-aiming, nurturing, concerned, husband-initiated, after a week of, of feeling this, she shouldn't conclude that she was running the show. She also shouldn't conclude that the marriage that week was all about you. She should conclude what at the end of a week of that? I'm I'm closer to God. We're we're closer to God. I I've seen the cross this week through my husband. I've 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 been convicted of sin. I'm I'm rejoicing in. His holiness, I'm God's holiness I, I'm, that he's given me through Christ. I, there should be a sense in which at the end of experiencing a season of love like that, that, that neither one of you would think that either one of you is at the center of it. But that God was. That holiness was. That Christ was the point. That, that the church, that his relationship with the church was the point. Does that make sense? All right, now we, we really... I hope that will what you what, what we're going to try to do next in the next two pages is is try to take this uh, objective truth stuff and begin to move it towards where the rubber meets the road. But I hope this will begin to give you this is the lens through which you need to look at everything you do with your wife, every arena of life. Empty myself out, God at the center, greater holiness for my wife. I want her to feel satisfied and nurtured with my love, and I, I, I'm going to initiate. So you take all of that and you apply it to every single... Now that's a lot to think about already, isn't it? Um, so I hope that will bring a little bit of tangibleness to it. Let's go to the second page. Number two. Listen, if you guys are leading this way... Question? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. That's um, good. We've, we've used the word the church a lot. And if I wanted to use two other words instead of the church, what are those words that I would use? Body? The body of... The, the corpus of those who follow the Lord. What other words would I use? In case the church, that even that very word, we're stumbling back to someone. I use that word and they can't get past priests and this big building that was <coughs> way long ago, perhaps by slaves, you know, stuff like that. Interesting. What do you guys think? <laughs> Just use a great term. <laughs> what do you think? What would you say, Russ? That's a great thing about the word is it's giving you multiple angles to discuss a topic from. So you can go all the way back to Genesis to look at the design that God made. So you don't even have to talk about the people of God necessarily. You can just say, God designed my way in such a way that she's pursued. 
she's designed uh, emotionally and it's part of who she is and her essence that she wants to be pursued. I've been designed to pursue her. You can do Genesis, uh, you know, we into Genesis 1 and 2, uh, where we're naked and unashamed, therefore you leave and you cleave. And then you can just say, and example we have for that is the way Christ loves those who follow him. And you can you can dodge the nasty if you were whether or not say it's built the church or whatever. But uh, frankly, I mean it sounds like that person doesn't want to hear the word, so you've got the gospel to do with that point too. Hey Scott. Yeah. I, I've been looking at this in a way as I, I was asked to do a prayer at Jacob's brother's wedding mm-hmm. who I'm almost sure he is not a Christian by his lifestyle. And his wife to be is not a Christian. And prayer is emptying ourselves to God, a God they don't know. Mm-hmm. A God that most of the people at that function won't know. So if maybe this is, I'm kind of getting from Zach, this person, if they're hearing things that are screaming Bible to them, they might just close the book. But I'm just writing some notes here on things that I'm thinking if we just talk about how Christ loved us and God is leading that they're going to want to grab a hold of that and then when they find out what God that is and where that's coming from um, if that's God led and uh I, I think the bait will already be there. They're, they're already going to want to grab hold of that rather than turn the other way. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if that's... Yeah, I, I, I guess I would, in, in part to answer your question too, Zach, I think I'd maybe go back to Ephesians 2 and use some of those terms. Um, fellow citizens, verse 19, God's household, it's a family. A family of families. Um, we're like a, a building, a human building, a holy temple, um, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Um, you always have when, when somebody's hung up on a biblical term and they've got a bad connotation with it. You you have two things you should do. One is you you should think of other ways you can say it, and then you have education. You need to help educate them that look what your connotation is. It's wrong. I understand what you what you have experienced, and that's horribly unfortunate. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should throw the term out, or that um, God made a mistake in using the term. Let's and and only your relationship with the person you can determine, you know, how well you can do that. So um, I think the body of Christ is a beautiful picture. <laughs> Paul talks about it that in, in 1 Corinthians 12 as well in regards to the gifts, um, and that makes sense. You know, fingers, eyes, foot, stuff like that. So, Thank you. yeah, no, that's a great question. Hey, Scott. Can yeah. I'm so arrogant to add to that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Join the arrogant tomorrow. How many years have you been married? I know. Just because this is something that I've noticed in myself, because I, I tend to make excuses for the church. I just recently had a conversation with somebody who was going down that road. You know, well, the church is, you know, the crusades and all these terrible things that have been mm-hmm. done in the name of Christ. And, um, you know, one thing I notice myself is that I tend to make excuses for the church. And I, you know, the church is not Christ. And when I look at Revelation, 
you know, God has some pretty strict and stern words for the church. So clearly the church isn't perfect. But, you know, I try and make those excuses. Well, those churches, you know, they don't really know God. They're not really believers. But, you know, the truth is the real church does terrible things. They make terrible decisions and they do despicable things in the name of Christ because we're sinners. Yeah. But, you know, That's praise true. God for Jesus Christ. But the church is still man. Yeah. Now, and that made me think of First uh, Peter 4 where Peter uh, talks about um, suffering, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome, troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glory in this name. And then he says, because for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, um, one of the things that we can say to people who recognize that the church has done horrible things, is we can say, look, I'll be the first to tell you that God's judgment will begin with us. He will take care of his own family and his own household first. He doesn't play leapfrog over his household. Man will lead it in such a way that they'll excuse and what they do and they'll make horrible decisions. But God will, will rectify it in the end. Nobody gets away with anything, even the church. And um, he will have a very purifying effect upon the church. So that, that's, a, that's a good word to remember. All right, let's, let's see if we can talk about what this kind of love requires. The, the, the next thing that comes to my mind, if I think about love as being Christ-centered, God-centered, I, I have to be aiming my wife at a greater holiness outside of her or that God has set up for her in Christ. It must be a satisfying love or a nurturing, cherishing love, and, and I have to initiate that. When I think about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, uh, I need to study a couple of things. I need to study and I need to ask some questions and there's there's two areas I, I think we should go one is study where God desires your wife to be this begs the question God where do you want my wife to be if, if my relationship with her is to portray something bigger than the both of us meaning Christ in the church and is to be God centered and then where do you want her to be and I need to be a man who's scripture saturated in regards to my wife you do Here's four areas I want you to think about. Study where your wife, uh, where God desires your wife to be. One, as a woman of God, just as a Christian, where does God want her to be as a sister in Christ? You've got to know that. You've got to know what Scripture says about just what it means to be a Christian, because that's where God wants your wife to be, and it needs to be your concern. Secondly, as a woman with a biblical role, she is a woman. And God has established wonderful, wonderful spiritual equality between husbands and, and, and or men and women. Listen, uh, husbands are not more depraved than women. Women are not more depraved than men. You might have conversations about that at times with your wife, I understand. But in the reality is we are equally as fallen, as far away from God as the other. One does not require more blood from Jesus Christ to cleanse than the other. We are wonderfully spiritually equal. When we are ransomed and brought into the household of God, one gender is not more important as a body part than the other. There's wonderful spiritual equality. There is also wonderful role differentiation. We are, our spiritual equality does not mean that we all do everything the same in the church and in our homes. 
This very passage says that husbands have a specific role as head. Just because a woman is spiritually equal with us and we are equally spiritually uh, spiritually equal with her does not mean that she is the head. But we are. This is what God says. He, he gives us roles. And she is to be the follower. She is to be the sum, uh, submissive one uh, to us in that sense. Also in the church, there's roles given. And you need to be scripturally saturated to understand those things because she, God made her a woman and he has a direction for her to go. Titus chapter 2 should be a, a chapter that you're familiar with. That's not just a chapter that has a few verses in there for women and you can skip over that part. But you need to know what God is saying for women, in, especially in regards to the church. Because where do you want her to go? You want her to go where God wants her to be as just a Christian woman. You also want her to go where God has wants her to be in regards to her role as a woman. And you've got to know what the role is. If you don't know what the role is, you might lead her in a direction that puts her at odds with the role God gave her in your home or in the church. And you don't want to do that. So you have to know what God's Word says. There's, there's a For roles, the way that we would describe our view of what Scripture is saying, is it's called biblical complementarianism. There's a, the roles have a complementing place with each other. Um, like in the Trinity, let me explain it in, in regards to the Trinity. Is the Son more God than the Father? No. Is the Father more God than the Son? No. Father with the Spirit, or Spirit with the Son? No, they're all God. Equally God is the other. There's spiritual equality in the Trinity. Did the Father go to the cross? No. Um, did the Spirit send the Son? No, the Son and the Father sent the Spirit. There's this roles that each one of them has been given. The Father didn't say, it is my food to do your will, Son. The Son said, it is my food to do your will. I'll, I'll be the one who submits under your big plan that you have, and that's what I will serve to bring about. Okay, so wait a minute. Does that all of a sudden erase their godness? Because Jesus takes on a, a submissive role under the Father, does that all of a sudden mean he's not as much God as the Father? No, these things are, there's no tension at all. Spiritual equality and having different roles, it actually, they actually complement one another. It shows us what God is like. As the Son serves and he empties himself out for the Father and for us, it shows us what deity is. You get it? So for a wife to have a role that's different than mine, it actually reveals something wonderful. What does it ultimately reveal? It reveals the church. That the church says, I love being under the yoke of Christ. He's gentle and he's humble in heart and I want to learn from him. And as she lives that out as a submissive woman under her husband, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 comes to life. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me regulate you. Let me control you. I'll be the one who's the Lord, not you. And the wife, as she is submissive in her role, she gets a wonderful opportunity to display that to the world. And so, guys, you need to understand that God has called her to that as a woman. And as you do understand that more and more and more, you can lead her in a way that directs her to that end. Thirdly, Study where God desires your wife to be as a wife. What's her role as, as, a, as, a, as a wife? It's tied in with biblical role, but it, it narrows down. And then, fourthly, as a, as a mother. 
Lord willing, that day will come, possibly for you. And you need to know what God says about her as a mother. Now, that is a journey. And you are on a journey of discovering more and more of what that means. Uh, so do not overwhelm yourself that, oh my goodness. Uh, well, you might be overwhelmed, but first step, the point is make a step. It's a journey. Take a step and learn more. Um, but God has your wife on a destination, and you must know it. Um, and your love is what God wants to use to move her to where he's at. Second thing, then, is uh, you need to study where your wife currently is. Okay, You want to you wanna know where you're going. You want to know where God wants her to be. And unless you, we're in heaven at this moment, your wife isn't where she needs to be yet. Right? And so now you need to study where your wife currently is. And same four categories come up. You need to ask your wife and, and, and study your wife and observe your wife. Just where is she at as a woman of God? Just as a Christian. Just as a sister in Christ. Where where are you, honey? Don't don't leapfrog over that. This is my tendency with my wife is to is this she's a Christian, she's okay. No, she's not. I'm not okay. I need people asking me about, well, how are you as a Christian? Don't ask me how I'm doing as a pastor. Ask me how I'm doing as a Christian, as an elder, as a Christian. I, I, need, to be, I need help. And so does your wife, so does my wife. So just as a woman of God, where are you currently? Ask her these kinds of things. As a, as a woman with a biblical role, <coughs> think about where she is. Do you see her fulfilling biblical roles in your home and in the church? As a wife, how is she doing with her biblical role? And then as a mother, those four categories, same ones. And you need to ask questions. Find out what she, how she views where she's at. But don't ask because you're convinced at the end of the day she knows exactly where she is. She doesn't know exactly where she is anymore than you know exactly where you are. It's not about being wife-centered in this. When she tells you the answer, that's it. We know where she's at. No, you're asking her to best gauge and put that with what you see about her and maybe what others see about her. And then you take her and, Lord willing, with your love, you move her to where God wants her to be. So your God-centeredness recognizes that your wife is under transformation. Your wife is under transformation just like you are. And he wants to use your love for her to have a a sanctifying effect upon her. Uh, Your love needs to move her along on the journey. But you're never going to know that if you don't know where God wants her to be, and you're never going to be able to do that if you don't know where she currently is. You have to know those two things. And that is not a one-time sit-down, exhaustive study, and then you've got the answers for the rest of your life. Because you're always going to be needing to learn more about where God wants her to be, and we're going to get to this in just a moment, but... Listen, you guys, you change over time. When you think you've got it figured out, where at one season of life, it changes. And um, we'll talk about that more. So it's a, it's a forever study. Number three, we'll finish three and then we'll um, take a break, okay? This kind of love, the next thing I think this just begs is this, oh my goodness, this requires planning. This requires planning and, and two thoughts came to my mind. Don't be fooled and don't be foiled. First, don't be fooled into thinking that this will just happen. I will just, it, I, you know, I'm a Christian, she's a Christian, I'll love her in a cross-centered, God-centered, holiness-aiming, nurturing, concerned, husband-initiated way. It just happens because that's what I am, I'm a Christian. No. <coughs> just thing called indwelling sin that fights at every step and, and um, we need to 
not be fooled into thinking that this just obviously happens. This is a complex love that God has called us to, and it is a lofty goal to aim at, and it requires practice, and it requires planning. Um, So do not settle on your assumptions or your presumptions about where you think things are at. Don't be fooled. But don't be foiled. Plan. You will be foiled if you don't plan. Way back when I, this would have been, uh, maybe it was, a, I don't know if you remember time. Do you remember when Lee Iacocca took over Chrysler and he turned it around? 80? Yeah, I do remember. Right. He wrote a book. Yeah. And one of his main points in his book that stuck out at that time was, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. There's just a lot of wisdom and truth bound up in that. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. That's assuming that it, yeah, I know the target's there. It gets hit, doesn't it? If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You have to intentionally plan. You have to intentionally aim so that you actually have a chance of hitting the target um, that God has set up for you. So, you need to plan. You need to think of, okay, um, I can't I can't get my mind around the rest of our lives. But I might be able to get my mind around this week. So I'm going to plan for this week. I'm going to set, and, and I'll, I'll make reference to uh, CJ's book here, um, Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God and Every Christian Husband Needs to Know. Uh, he obviously is narrowed down on a very specific part of the husband-wife relationship, sex and romance. Uh, but what he he has a, a practice that he's had engaged in his, uh, a part of his life for years, and that is every either Sunday afternoon or night or Monday, he goes out and he gets coffee and he sits with his little daytimer PDA thing and he he plans his week out ministry-wise and he takes a look at his marriage, he takes a look at his, his family, and he says, I think if I remember reading right, he sets three goals for each week on each of those things that he wants to try to aim at. Very practical, very reachable goals. Not, I, I, wanna, I want God to be glorified. Goal number one, I want God to be glorified. And, but doesn't really know what that looks like. I mean, we're talking really tangible. He wants God to be glorified, but he want, they're more tangible than that. You understand? I'm going to sit with my wife Thursday night and ask her these questions so that I better understand her, so that God is glorified. Okay? I, oh, I can get my hands around that. Um, things like that. And so you've got to sit. I, I, I commend that to myself and to you uh, as, an, as, an, as an, an example that's worthy of uh, imitation. So set goals for the week. Try to get your mind around a goal. And think of questions you can sit and ask your wife. Um, across a, a variety of areas and arenas of life to try to express first and most of her just love. I, I love you. Um, I, I'm asking these questions because I, really, I want to know you. We can, be, look, we, we can become so task-oriented and goal-oriented that we can say, that we can ask the questions in such a way that make her feel more like we, we want to get someplace and, and she's secondary. That's true to a degree. But we never want to do it in a way that makes her feel like she was just a, a checkoff mark along the way. So you want to ask her in a way that she actually feels loved. So you want to ask these questions because you genuinely want to know her. You want to you want to understand her better. You want to care for her. You want to know where she's at. You want to feel what it's like to be in her shoes. And 
all that. So ask, think of questions you can ask her to understand her. That will help you then to make some movement. Um, think about this. Um, I have a friend who was, is a pastor, and it was at a time in his pastoral ministry when he became, things really started getting much more busy. Um, he was really trying to work hard to get his hands around his schedule and, and his ministry life, and, and so he was having to work really hard with his assistant to um, set up schedules and, and appointments and things, and he's really blocking out time, and his wife was watching all of this go on for days and, and weeks, and, and they were coming home from church one day, um, and they were... He was talking about it. Here's what's going to be going on this. I got this. I got that. I got this. I've been really planning, trying to get my hands on this. And and without being, she wasn't trying to be a, a smart aleck or anything. She just said, "Honey, do, do you think maybe I could get an appointment with you?" And he realized he was just crushed by what he had realized about his own heart. And this is what we do, guys. We we get so we plan for just about everything. Except our marriages, we 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 understand that work, man. It's I got a plan for work. I've got to I've got to make plans there. I've got to move in that direction. I've got to make a, a a map, a roadmap out to get there. Uh, we do it with um, our ministry, even the ministries that we are involved with. We think I I got a plan for that. I got to set time aside for that. We take it serious. We even plan our play, don't we? Um, but then we just let our husbanding happen. What would happen if you just let your work happen? How long would you be at work? I mean, you can't do that. So, I mean, what is that? Except other than to explain that one of the most important things that brings integrity to your life and to your ministry, your wife, that we would think so beyond it quickly to other things, how can you explain that other than the nature of sin and the plot of the devil to make men unaware of what they need to be paying attention to and make men have lose their integrity and therefore render the church nothing because from that church, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself and he's displaying his wisdom. You see, it's very... It's a great, brilliant plan that sin and the devil have. Just get them in. Just chop them down at the knees. Take them down. Because then that weakens the church, and then God's wisdom can't be seen, and reconciliation of all things through Christ, through the church. Ah, it's done. Wow. You know, guys, we got... This, this is huge for us. To be men of God, who understand what God has for us, and what he has for our wives, what he has for our marriages. So... Let's not be foiled. Let's let's plan. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to plan like exactly like CJ does, but you need to figure out some kind of way to plan, right? That fits and works. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll try to get um, more practical. Think of across some specific areas of life and arenas of ministry and life together. Okay. All right. Take a few minutes. The the next section, section four that I want to go through um, I am I probably have 
the least amount of confidence to, to go through with you because I failed miserably in 15 areas here. Um, so I share this with you not because you would find this in my marriage, but um, maybe I can tell you some things to not do. Or maybe we can work on some things together uh, for the first time. But th- this kind of love that is cross-centered, that keeps God at the center, that aims your wife at greater holiness, that seeks to satisfy her, nurture her, cherish her, that is initiated by you, it's got to get practical. It has to express itself um, in a variety of areas, all areas of your marriage. And so what I try to do is I try to just think of um, some categories here, and I hope that maybe you might think of some categories um, that I haven't thought of, and if you even do, uh, share them this morning, and we can jot them down, we can throw it down on our paper and, and maybe think of some other areas. Um, and so again, remember, what we want to be is we want to be God-centered in our love for our wives, um, and not husband-centered, and not wife-centered, but we want to be God-centered. That, that means you, you won't neglect your wife, that you won't act like you don't care about what she thinks because you're God-centered. I'm not talking about that. You need to know what your wife thinks. You need to know what your wife, uh, what her thoughts are and evaluations are of herself and your marriage and your family. Um, but you need to know that so that you can move where God wants your family to be. So we mean God-centered that way. Let's just start with um, a really big category, spiritually. Uh, you need to love your wife in the spiritual ways, biblically, theologically. You need to be concerned about spiritual disciplines in her life, growth and godly character, her service in the body of Christ, etc. Um, one of the ways that you can just love your wife like Christ loved the church is you can sacrifice your time to find out how she's doing spiritually. Um, Tom's question that he encourages husbands or he asks husbands all the time. Tom, do you know what you're not thinking of? No. Do you know what your wife... That made him look really good. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot. So now he knows. I help him. Let me wake up. Yeah. Oh, you thought I was talking to Tom Proud. I see. Okay. He knows what I'm talking about now, so everybody listen. Do you know what your wife is praying about and what your wife is praying for? That is a great way to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Honey, what are you, what are you praying for? What are you praying about? Love you another one, Scott. <laughs> After that one time, I think you might want to know. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, in, in terms of what we're talking about, uh, in, in terms of preaching the gospel to yourself, one of the, the first concerns that you should have as a husband is, is how your wife is doing now. Honey, how are you shepherding your heart with the gospel? And how can I preach the gospel to you? Remind you of the grace realities of God in the gospel. Um, you need to ask your wife where, where do you feel strong spiritually where, where do you feel strong in your spiritual disciplines and where do you feel weak and if you have observations of what you've seen in her life after she has told you 
say, I have, I have an observation. Can I share that with you? Here's why I see you excelling. Here's where God's grace is all over you. And here's where I think he would like to have more of his grace come. That's loving your wife like Christ loved the church. That's being concerned for her holiness. That's taking initiative. Do you see that, guys? Do you see how this works? with the? That's God-centered love. And obviously, how can you help? Josh? Is this something you would recommend um, even during a dating relationship? In a dating relationship? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially as you're moving from... If the more... Like, I mean, would you sit down with a brother in Christ and be concerned about these things? Yeah, you would. And so if you're with a sister in Christ, you'd want to be concerned about <coughs> the same things. And um, But all the more as it moves towards... Uh, marriage, even more so. Absolutely. It's a beautiful time to be doing this now as you're preparing for marriage so that when you go into it, people see very natural. Great. <coughs> Great point. That's kind of a huge aha I had maybe a month ago uh-huh. that I realized how natural it is for me to ask guys I meet with mm-hmm. all kinds of questions about how they're doing, how they're protecting their heart. Um, what's going to teach you to, um, where do you need a challenge, all that stuff. And I don't know if Chris said something that made me think about it, but I realized I don't intentionally do that with those things. Well, it was great, but it was awful. And I realized, yeah. <laughs> you know, use that term leapfrog. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Right. I got to change that. Yeah. And that's loving your wife, God Christ loves the church. It's being concerned for her. It's nurturing her. It's <coughs> nourishment. She feels cherished. She feels nurtured when, when you ask those kinds of things. That's that's excellent. Do you know what your wife is reading in her Bible? You need to. And you need to say, tell me what you're reading. Tonight on your date night, if you if you have a Valentine's date night or whatever you're doing today, Carve out some time in it and say, tell me what you're reading in your Bible. And tell me what God's teaching you. I want to hear how God's just working in your life. And let her preach a sermon at you. Mm. And you just be quiet and listen. And enjoy it. And give thanks to God. And uh, that's good. Uh, If you have children, you need to love her uh, in regards to her relationship with the children. Her relationship with the children. This is really important. Um, you need to ask your wife, um, where do you feel like your relationships, uh, which relationships with the kids this week is tense? And which relationships with the kids this week are really good? And so you, you always want to do the, the good and the bad or the good and the challenging so that you have the opportunity to identify evidences of God's grace where he's, things have been going well. Um, and you want to listen carefully that, you know, if your wife loves just, uh, I just want things to be comfortable and not conflict, a good week in her mind might be, we didn't get into it and so it was good. So you see, you want to listen to your wife carefully. You need to know what your wife is like so that you're not, you, you still want to be God-centered. You don't want to just take her word for it. You want to listen so that you can understand, you know, was that a really good week? You Talk to me about your definition of good. And, and help her with those things. And your idea of what's good from what you saw might not be complete either. In fact, I'm sure it's not complete. 
So you want to be talking about these things. Where are things going? Where, where are your relationships strong? And by the way, as they grow, the kids, it changes. I mean, there's going to be a changing thing every week on, on how, especially when you start having more than one kid, there will be one that will adapt to your parenting style and your uh, personality and your way, and there will be one that God will give you as a precious gift who will shake a fist at you every step of the way. And the ones who already have that will be praying that you will get one like that. Yes. That is probably true. So which which relationships are tense? Which ones are bumpy? Which ones are strong? And ask your wife, where do you think, here's how you be God-centered in your life to your wife. Honey, where do you think God wants your relationship with Junior to be? What do you think God wants your relationship to be? And how can I help you get there? And, and, and guys, um, there are wonderful opportunities to divide and conquer as parents. You want to be together, and you, you never want to give the sense that you're not together. But there are wonderful times. If your wife is really struggling with one of your children, you take that child, and you do something with them. Separate them from mom, and, and, and minister to that child in the things that you know that will come along and reinforce your wife and always express to your children guys always express to your children your undying support and love and withedness with your wife you will never be peeled off your wife mommy's wrong sometimes just like I'm wrong sometimes but mommy and I stand together I will always stand with her I'll never not stand with her we're going to be t- together. And that helps little Junior recognize, okay, I'm not going to try the peeling off thing anymore. Or if I do, it's going to be a really hard road to go. Relationships with parents and the in-laws. This is going to change over time. Things will start out one way. I can tell you that my wife and I, when we got married, thought we knew exactly what the other one was getting and in-laws. And I can tell you that in 19, almost 19 years, it has changed dramatically. To the point that we have looked at each other at times and said, seriously, just broken, I'm I'm really sorry for what you got when you married me. This is really hard. Mm -hmm. And the other one saying, no, 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 no. You're not sorry for it. This is, God is doing this. And and, um, so there's a sense in which you know that's going to change, and so you need to be on the ball, and you need to ask. And even when you get older and you're all grown up, and things don't affect you like you think they should anymore, you still need to ask. Um, my parents divorced when I was 17, and I'm 43, almost. Not even 43. Whatever, I'm over 40. I went to the other 40s dinner last night, so I must be over 40. And it sure wasn't your wife that got you there. No, it wasn't Because I robbed the cradle. I'm proud of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that recorder's still on. Uh, uh, did I really just say that? I did. Um, but, you know, what is it? Uh, 20, what's 43 minus uh, 17? Thank you. 26 years later, I'm still impacted by divorce. 
I still have to deal with that because of the, the nature of the relationship. And so I need help from her to make sure that I'm dealing with my parents the right way. She needs help. We, you, you both need help. you got to be always asking questions and caring for each other. Sometimes you'll need to be the buffer that can step in between her and your parents or hers. And you need to be the one that absorbs the hit. And there's going to be some times where you know what, you're going to need to step out of the way because you've maybe been a part of the problem. And you need to encourage your wife to step forward and to handle a relationship. There's going to be times when with your children and with your in-laws and with the second, the next category down, friendships, there's going to be some times where you're going to need to help shepherd your wife to seek forgiveness because she sinned against them. And you need to help them. You need to help her figure that out. And those are hard because, you know, you can't take the hit and say, well, I'll ask for forgiveness for you. You can't. You, but you need to be the one that provides all the kind of strength that she needs, the support around her that she can do it and feel that she's not alone. So you own as much as you can own and be with her as much as you can be so that when she does it on her own, she doesn't feel like she's on her own. you got to help her. And that's loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Yes. I'm just reminded too that uh, I just that I need to be careful not to neglect that area when the in-laws aren't close. Mm-hmm. They're really like in another state, far away. I don't see them very much, so it's easy for me to not do a good job in this area because we're not in contact with them much at all. Right. Face to face and family get-togethers and all that. And for you, it may be out of sight, out of mind. And for her, if it's her side, it's away. It's not as much. Um, I know in our first year of marriage, uh, Kim's family went through some really, really hard things back in Nebraska, and we were in Southern California. And my, uh, a lot of my first year of marriage was just shepherding my wife and, and protecting her thought life and shepherding her thought life and with her and. And just trusting God together when we couldn't be there. She couldn't be there. And she everything in her wanted to, was screaming out to be there. And um, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's always changing. So friendships as well, that next category down there, those, those change. Um, friends will come and friends will go. And your wife will feel that coming and going in ways probably that you won't when your friends come and go. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, wow, when, when they lose a friend, it's like you know half of the world just fell off the other half. And you know you may, you may be more like that, and that's great. I mean, we need to care when we when we lose friends. But guys tend to be able to. We I can move on. It's okay. But your wife is is probably very different. So you need to be concerned about how she's doing. And um, anyway. Uh, next one down. Her fears, disappointments, hopes, and dreams. Um, what your wife was afraid of and feared in your first year of marriage will probably not be what your wife is fearful of five years into your marriage, ten years into your marriage, fifteen years in your marriage, next week in your marriage. And you need to recognize that she changes and as she changes and grows and has weaknesses, that the fears will change. And, and what you, if you think you discover one fear now, that doesn't mean you're done investigating what 
her fears are. You need to investigate and know that. Her disappointment, same thing. Her hopes and her dreams. I mean, the things that she dreams of as a, as a woman and as a wife and as a mom, um, those things change too over time. And um, she needs you to be concerned about those things. I think of... Um, What's the what's the Pixar movie of the, the superheroes? Uh, the Incredibles. It's probably one of my favorite movies. I couldn't remember the name of it this morning. At one point when the kids are racing around the table and fighting each other, and she's trying to hold them, and and she's like, engage, Bob! <laughs> he's in the other room, reading. he's in the kitchen with a newspaper looking at an article, and and, and I, I think of that. You, guys, we, you need to get engaged. I need to get engaged more with my wife and what she's afraid of, what she's thinking, what she's dreaming of, what she's hoping for. And um, you know what? When you find something that your wife is really, you know, hoping for and dreaming that's that's a really God glorifying thing, point it out to her. Tell her it is. Just say, Man, I think that is so pleasing to God. That is just so encouraging. Build her up in those ways. Um and then if you can, help them come to reality. Um, serve her in that way. Um, how about her temptations? That also will change with time. What, what tempts a woman in her first year of marriage may not be what tempts her in her fifth year of marriage or certainly not her 20th year of marriage. There will be other things that will come and, and be temptations. And, and you... Um, this is again where I would bring the gospel to the center of her temptations. What propositions of grace must she take refuge under in order to be safe from the temptation? You need to be thinking about that. What does she need from the gospel that she can take refuge underneath so that she is protected and, and safe from that temptation? Um, how can you lead her there? Ask her, how can I better lead you into the gospel so that you are safe from your temptations. And um, you know, you know this. When, when you're under, when you're under temptation, feeling like you are either already sliding down the slippery slope or about to. Do, do you feel really confident? I mean, you just you feel your weakness, don't you? Listen, your wife is that way. Your wife is that way. And she may not feel in her temptation very confident in God's grace. She may just feel so weak that she doesn't feel confident. But you know what she needs to feel in her temptations? She needs to feel your confidence in the grace of God. So buoy her, raise her up with your confidence in, in the grace of God in the gospel. God protects sinners. He he cares for sins. You know what? And when we fall into temptation and we sin, he forgives and he sanctifies and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. She, I mean, you need to be the, the grace-confident one when she's weak. And Lord willing, she'll be that for you as well. But help her to feel your confidence in the face, uh, in, in uh, the, the, the grace of God and the gospel when she's facing temptation. Okay? And shelter her with that. Let's go to the next one. Conversations. Oh, my goodness. Uh, conversations. <clears throat> Tell me if you see anything like this in your home. 
you were supposed to go somewhere together or she's very interested in a meeting that you were going to have with somebody. And you walk home, or you walk in the door once you get home, and she says, how was it? And what, what does the guy say? It's <laughs> good. And, and it just... Praise God you're in the kitchen and not where the guns are because she would grab one and she would kill you if she could because unless you keep a gun in your kitchen you don't want to do right? <laughs> in every room of the house. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. The old Betty Glocker. <laughs> Betty Glocker. Oh my God. <laughs> that is too funny. <laughs> We're going to have to separate you two guys. <laughs> Listen, there is, a, there is a real sense in which you can love your wife as Christ loved the church by dying to the way you do conversations so that you can do conversations her way. In a way that glorifies God. Because her way of doing conversations may need to be more God-glorifying. But you can certainly make movement towards what helps her and what is a... Uh, an encouragement to her. Um, so plead with God to give you a heart for conversation like she does. Um, and you know, if your wife wants to talk when, like, when it's you, you, you're going to bed and you're like tired and you're about to fall asleep, then then stand up, get out of bed, and stand up, do do whatever, um, so that. She doesn't hear your snore as the response to her last question she asked. Um, do whatever it takes. And talk to her say, you know what, honey, it, we're, we're going to need to find a, a better time to talk because I'm just I'm too weak then to do it. And um, I remember that our first year of marriage, that was the issue. I mean, I have always had the spiritual gift of sleep. <laughs> I mean... I had a friend tell me when we roomed together uh, at a summer camp, he was one of my staff guys, that he was actually afraid for me because he said he was pretty sure within five seconds I was out. And he had just heard this uh, study that people who fall asleep that fast are probably, like, shouldn't be driving and things like that because they'll just, you know, fall asleep. Well, I've never had that issue, but but, um, Kim is... Kim is a night person. She's changed more over the years to, to not be so much. But when we first got married, uh, she was a night person, and I was out. And when was she thinking? When was her mind churning? Because family's falling apart halfway across the country, and it's nighttime, and it's quiet, and the tasks are all done, and her mind is churning. I know my wife is this way at night, and I have to help her. And my mind is not churning. My mind is mush. <laughs> And she's talking, and I can't even think. Uh, and so you have to help each other. But that's the way that you can love Christ like Christ, uh, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How about dates and special occasions? Um, oh, I know. Back up on the conversation thing. If you know when you get, and you know, your wife may be very interested in just asking every day, "What's hey? How was your day?" And your answer may be fine. And she's just like, well, you know, yeah, that's not helpful. When you're coming home, turn the radio off, uh, hang up the phone or whatever it is that you're doing, and rehearse for yourself 
what you're thinking. Think, think back through the events of your day through the lens of your wife, through her eyes. What are the kinds of things that she's interested in that you would have had at a meeting or in what task you were doing or whatever and um, from a conversation and think through it with her eyes and her mind and be ready to talk about those things when you get home and ask God to make you ready for those things when you get home. Use that little commute time that you have to, so that when you walk in the door, your wife has a different sense from you when, when you come in. You, you can almost say, hey, okay, let me tell you about um, this. I mean, you want your wife to pass out, come home and say, okay, I've got a list here. Here's what, here's what happened today and here's what I thought you might want, want to know. And then put her jaw back up and you know, and go on. But but anticipate those things. Um, be concerned about those things. That's the way that you can show her that you're thinking about what her needs are and what kind of things she's interested in. Uh, dates and special occasions. Talk about talk together about what you both like to do, um, and where you like to go. Here is my Achilles heel. I am such a creature of habit that. I can do the same thing over and over and over and over and over for years and be okay with it, like on a date. And meanwhile, my wife is like, that's like eating air. Right? It is no flavor, it's nothing. It's not sustaining anymore, it's not nurturing. And we actually, one time, she told me when we were out on a date a few months ago, she just said, Scott, we, we need to... We need to take some risks on our date. We need our dates. We need to go do something that's not this anymore. And so you know what? We started doing that. We started, and I, and I told her, I said, you know, I don't really know what what would be a risk for you. What would you think would be risky? And she came up with these things to do, and I thought, well, that actually sounds fun. Let's go do that. And so now we go do those kinds of things. So I'm not sure I'm talking about laughing at your tables, but. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when when you got married, and I could ask this question later too, if you felt there's better to address later. Uh, how much did your dreams and her dreams intersect and and run parallel to each other, and how much did they go perpendicular? Um, there's there's always a degree in which you where where there's alignment, because I mean you're getting married and you 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 don't get to a point hopefully where you're going to marry somebody because hopefully you get there because you see alignment in your life. There's Spiritual things that you're just both passionate about, and and other things you know that you're passionate about, and so there's always a degree of alignment, and there is always at the same time things where ideas and dreams that t-bone one another and head-on collision each other. So I mean it's, but those things just change over time, and and um, hopefully more comes in alignment that I always find too that as I change and as she changes, what I think is important for the next blank space of time and what she thinks is important for the next it's still not the same and you have to just work through those things so um, I, it's always it's never static and it's um, it's it's always changing but there's always things that are in alignment and there's things that are not in alignment at least that's what I found for me, so that may not be a very good answer but risks putt putt golf um, <laughs> she um that is. You, go, you know, because you're boy, right? I go. I, I took my son. You want to talk about a risk? Put put golfing with a six-year-old. You don't want to put a metal object in a six-year-old's hand. And I'm serious. That thing's going like this, and there's family right in front. Of you. <laughs>
Um, we've talked about. Let me let me tell you what um, doing. What our habit had been a lot is, is eating and go out to eat and then uh, we'll sit, we'll, we'll talk forever while we eat and then maybe go to a bookstore or something and we'll sit down together and, and she'll grab a pile of books and I'll grab a pile of books and we'll, we'll sit and look at them together for a while and we'll go home. And that, as much as enjoyable as that is for both of us, it was just like, hey, this is, you, you can only do this 157 times without, and then it gets feeling like it's the 158th time. So we, um, she wants to like go do things activity-wise. Like she wants to uh, go hiking. She wants to, even if we just went on a bike ride. Um, we we both love music, and so we found a place where um, we could go listen to live music and do that. And that's like our big thing is we like to go listen just to. Um, there's a place in Scottsdale called Voce, and. What is it called? Voce is Italian for voice or I guess. No, V-O-C-E. And and we'll go and we'll just listen to um, the different musicians that they have in at nights and it's jazz and it's uh, whatever. It's really it's just fun. And I would have never thought to go do that. Um, and and so you'd say that's not a risk. That's but it is it, you know it's relative to me and uh, so things like that. And so we, we try to do that kind of thing more. Um, so just talk about what do you like? Why do you like that, honey? Um, what makes doing that special to you? And try something new and lead and, and um, surprise her if you can. Hey, Scott, yeah. Um, could you say that maybe <clears throat> the act of being creative and planning ahead is part of that enjoyment. Absolutely. I know I know Adrian definitely uh, appreciates when I when I go out of the box for her. Yeah. Yeah. My my problem for me is my box that I'm in has such high walls. It is so hard for me to I just I'm not spontaneous when it comes to I don't think really anything. I, I am a I I plod. Put me on the path and I'll put my head down and I will just plod. One step after another, and I'll just go, and I'll just go. And I view my, unfortunately, my marriage that way, and my wife gets really burned out by that, and I have to have her. That's why I ask her for help. What would, well, what do you mean? Because I don't even think in those categories. Oh, there's actually something different than dinner and a bookstore. Okay. Does that, I think that kind of answers that question, too, is, you know, you may have parallel tracks, but... In, in, for most relationships, we're different. You just need to, I know for myself, I, I just need to be open to what serves other people, or in this case, my wife does. Yeah. Tom, what do you think? Well, do you ever go to the grocery store for your wife? You know, oh, yeah. she sends you, it's probably on those honeydew lists. <laughs> just stop by the card section okay. and get thinking of you cards. Great idea. And just, I'm telling you, you want to have a good night. We're going. This is the second time you, you're going where we're going next. Well, you, you, uh, you wrote this. 
that's like a date from the Gordon 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 Tom, let me program that in. What is it? Poor Josh is something All right. How about finances? How can you love your wife like Christ loved the church in finances? By asking her a question. Um, do you feel safe? And do you feel protected? Do you feel nurtured? Do you feel treasured under my management of our finances? Do, do you feel loved? Do you feel like you're thought about? Do, do you feel deprived by the way I spend our money? By the way I handle our money? Um, ask her about that. Meal times. Oh, guys, can I tell you just, I got to tell you, can I tell you about our first? Why do you go off of finances so fast? <laughs> <laughs> because I saw what I was an idiot at in the meal times, and it caught my eye. We'll, we'll back up. I'll, I'll say what. I have what more on finances? I, that's for me. That right there is huge. If I ask my wife the question, how do you feel like things are going uh, with me caring for? I, I have to constantly ask her those kinds of things. Um, and especially because I'm not strong in the finances side. It, it makes more sense for me to do it than for Kim to do it because I'm stronger than she is. But I need to be strengthened. You know, look for ways in which you can strengthen your, your view of money. There's, there's uh, men in the church that would love to sit with you and talk about a budget, talk about how to get out of debt, how to uh, make wise decisions, purchases, Things like that. We've got men all over the church who would love to do that with you, and if you um, if you need to be strengthened in those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, you want to do that in a way, and you can show love for your wife by making her feel sheltered under your management of it. Now, listen, we can be so tight. We can be we can be tightwads where our wives are like, you know, you, you give her the ten dollar um, uh, um, allowance. And she's like, the next two weeks, huh? This is what I'm you know, she's going to feel deprived because you're trying to be careful about money. And then, then you can go on the other side where you've spent everything and she didn't know it, and now she can't get for you and the family what you need. Um, and you can also be responsible and let her spend everything. Um, so you know, you want to work on making sure that you you understand what Scripture says. And you want to reinforce and build up your own um, understanding and, and management of finances so she feels protected and nurtured, treasured. Yeah. A comment. I, I'm thinking of a, a couple of different situations where I've counseled before. And to see the condition of a marriage when the wife would answer a question like that about finances with, um, my security is in your parents. Uh, where a wife would feel more secure in trusting in your employer than she does in you. And, and the damage in just that particular area when when the wife doesn't have any comfort or trust or uh, security in how the husband handles it. Yeah, that's good. What, and he, you guys, I don't know if this is the statistics say or are, but you know that they're high for the stress that 
financial issues put on a marriage. And um, so you just need to be really thoughtful about that and recognize it's a way for it's an, it's an arena of your relationship in which you can show love for your wife. Um, I, I've heard from secular mm-hmm. and Christian or religious or what, whatever kind of survey is done that finances could be or are um, one thing. of the greatest reasons for fights in marriage, divorce. Yeah. I, I would um, agree with that. And in, in my 31 years of marriage, initially it wasn't really a problem because we were students and um, just had no money. So it's like, it was gone, it's gone. And <laughs> what are you going to do? But um, even, you know, just getting a credit card bill and looking at the expenses and you can look down even praying and feeling bad and wanting to go, okay, I don't want to be angry. I'm going to not ask and kind of go, well, what happened here? (laughs) (laughs) But, and you know, and it wasn't even funny. Yeah. But, But we can laugh because maybe you guys are all laughing because you're uncomfortable about it also. (laughs) <laughs> and, and then and everything that's said here stays in the everything stays in this I'm room like, and on the web I'm like thinking to myself and we're, we're up in our messy office and Lori's at her desk and I'm, I'm really thinking don't be an idiot maybe just shut up that was my thought and, and I I just pointed out a couple things, and and then Lori said, "I tried," and then my mind says, "You need to try harder." But I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's a it's a it's a a, a constant area, and I'll tell you guys, it's tied into it will in it will impact your view of biblical roles for you. Because if you view, if you end up setting up money in, in too high a place, it will make you go, hmm, honey, I need to think about some things for you and some ways to increase the, the income for the family. When, when maybe you don't need to, um, and uh, you need to be really thoughtful about how your view of money Will have a potentially could have a potentially adverse effect upon the way you view um, your roles together. So you got to be really thoughtful. Hey Scott, sorry. Go for it. One thing that was really important for me early on in my in my marriage was um, communicating with my wife about the finances because I think initially I I I controlled the finances. I you know I did the checkbook and paid the bills and. I don't think my wife would say this, but I think initially in our marriage, she just thought it was really cheap because I didn't tell her. So, oh, you can only spend this much, or she'd go out and buy something, and I'd get upset. She'd be like, what's the deal? She has no frame of reference. But, yeah, she didn't She didn't understand. And when she started doing the finances, and she started paying the bills and writing the checks, and then it flipped because then all of a sudden, she's saying to me, how come you went out and bought this? Because we don't have any money. <laughs> so it, I think it's really beneficial for your wife to, 
to talk to be you know intimately involved with the finances that she sees what the expenses are and she understands what money's coming in and where it goes it really helps just practically to avoid those fights when you both understand you know hey we only have a hundred dollars of discretionary income this month so right you know and really it, I think it helps with a lot of these areas because you talk about like wanting to go on vacation, spending money for things on Valentine's Day. You know, it really helps your wife's perspective to understand. You know, hey, we didn't we didn't go out and spend hundred dollars for roses for this year. It's not because I don't love you and I don't want to get you roses, but it's because we only have hundred dollars this month for doing things. So right. you know, that's really good. Really good. You know, kind of uh, appreciate what Nate just said and kind of what Jeff said as well, but do you allow your wife, or do you even allow others to fail without condemnation? Why do you check one? As you look at because me. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't laughing at you, I was laughing because you, you know my, my, my marriage. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, do, I do see that, where you know we can be very condemning, more condemning of others than we are of ourselves. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get a pass on. Well, I can explain. I can explain to you exactly why I spent that money that we didn't have. It makes total logical sense. I needed that motorcycle. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> and um, our it's just it's so much harder. And you know, you want your wife, especially when you have kids too. Uh, you can crush little spirits by making them feel like they mm-hmm. can't that that their home and and being under their daddy is not a safe place to fail. Mm-hmm. And you, you can really ruin somebody. And so you need to be gracious, and you need to let them see and remind them how gracious God is with you when you fail. And um, so I absolutely want to keep this grace infused all the time. Now I'm going to go to meal times. Okay. Here is our first dinner together. We got home from our uh, honeymoon, and we rent our apartment in Corona, California, right off the 91. At Lost Service Club Drive, where the In and Out is yeah. at the bottom there, and we sit. Th- she had been all day. She she was thinking, this is my first meal as a wife that I'm making. She set it at our table, and we sat down and we prayed. And I put my head down and I ate everything. Oh. <laughs> and I looked up, and she was just staring at me. <laughs> she hadn't taken a bite of anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is an awkward moment. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and and it was crazy. But here's why. Um, she came from a family that mealtime dinner was like the highlight. Um, you know, four, five kids around the table, and a mom who just made it all happen. And I can remember eating at that table. Uh, when we were dating and just thinking this is like one of the funnest places on the planet to be. Disneyland's got nothing on this table. And just it was amazing. And here I was, I was I was 24 and the home I grew up in dinner time was awful. I hated dinner time because my family was there. <laughs> it was so hard. We we didn't talk at dinner. There was so much tension. We didn't talk. And I wasn't hungry. And I couldn't eat what was on my plate because I wasn't hungry. I didn't want to be there. And then I got out of the house and meal times for me are like it is for you single guys. What do you do? You 
You pull it out of the microwave, you sit down in front of the TV, and you just go. There's nobody you're eating with. You just eat. You just eat. So I went from that in my home to this, and then I get married to a wife who's thinking, this is going to be the most incredible conversation part of the day, and then I was grazing at the table. (laughs) You need to talk with your wife about meal times. Meal times can be one of the most amazing times that you can have together. And you need to talk with her about what she's expecting. You know, she's not a buffet line. She's not a drive-through provider. She is she's working hard to have something at the table so that the family can be together, so you can sit down together and you can talk. You can put everything else on pause for a moment and you can enjoy each other. And especially as you have kids and as they get older, you want your kids to really enjoy that time um, and be together. So. Man, ask her, what are your expectations at mealtime? Um, and I imagine that's going to change, too, as all of a sudden your table is empty. Am I right, guys, who kids are gone? And all of a sudden meals, it's just two of you and there's not others to try to engage with, right? Now you have to learn almost to eat all over again. So you, you need to be asking these kinds of questions. What are your expectations? Um, all right, honey-do lists. My wife has um, the longest honeydew list in the world for two reasons. Number one, she's constantly always lo- she's this the type where she's constantly always looking for what is undone that should not be undone. And secondly, she has a husband who's absolutely pathetic at getting anything done. And therefore, those two things put together give her the world record honeydew list. Um, and what we need to help our wives with sometimes is they'll look at something that they want to have done, and um, we may need to help them. Recognize these are the ones that can be done very quickly, easily. You can do these, you know, I can chop out a bunch of these. These are the ones that can't be. Now, done as quickly. What, let's talk about expectations here. Let's talk about priorities. What do you want? And you actually have to plan for these things. Don't just let that list exist somewhere in her mind and not in yours. And just it's just going to create this huge thing. We had a we had a Monday. Mondays are my day off, and we had a last Monday was one of those good hard Mondays, where um, she had all kinds of expectations that were not mine, and we had to work through those together. And um, really opened my eyes. Oh my goodness! I had an expectation for day today. I didn't communicate it with my wife. She had expectations for today, and she didn't communicate with me. And it was a it was a, a great time of, of seeking forgiveness and um, learning. We still need to communicate. So talk with each other. Um, how about cleaning up after yourself? Um, if she gives you the impression that she <coughs> treats you like one of the kids, following you around, picking up after you everywhere you go, that's something's probably wrong. If you're giving her that impression, you don't have kids yet, and yet she's treating you like a kid. Something's probably wrong. <laughs> um, I don't do very much very well in in a lot of these things. There's one thing that I, I have committed to ever since actually we had kids, and that is uh, I, I'm the morning person in our marriage, and she's not, and so I get the kids up. And I'm the one, I, I, I have my quiet time, and I, I spend my time in the Word and pray, before they ever get up, I want to have my heart positioned the best that I, it can be 
before I meet with anybody else. I want my heart near to God before my heart is near to my family. And I then go get the kids up, and I feed them breakfast at our island in the kitchen, and I sit down and then I read the Bible with them, and we read a story, we just read through the Old Testament and the New, and um, then I clean up the kitchen. I want to, my thought was from the very beginning was, when my wife moves into her greater strength later in the morning, I don't want her to walk in the kitchen and go, what happened here? Here's how my day starts. I want her to walk into the kitchen instead and go, I can do anything I want in here, or I can do nothing in here. It's okay. So, I mean, the countertops are cleaned off, the dishes are all done and put in the sink, everything is, there's nothing left for her to do. Um, I want that, I want to, I want to do that for Tom. Well, I think the first thing uh, we, we discussed uh, that irritates marriages is finances. The second thing probably is cleanliness. Oh, yeah. Being, yeah. And the, the question which I learned to ask is, what is it that I do which irritates you the most? Mm. And, and if you knew, I wouldn't <laughs> get mad when I asked you that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, at that point in time, she doesn't care. Yeah, that's like, I, don't care. I don't care how you're going to respond. I'm getting this out. <laughs> you open uh, the door. What, what I found out was so simple that, you know, I thought it would be something profound, you know. She says, you know what irritates me most is you leave your underwear on the bathroom floor. I said, is that it? That's it. <laughs> I can do that. I can, do I can fix that. I can fix that. Yeah. Yes. That's good. <laughs> Mike, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to yeah. share an anecdote of my grandfather and uh, very similar to what uh, you were talking about with, with you and Tim. And he made a made it a point when uh, for my grandmother passed away. Um, for I think most of their marriage, over 50 years, uh, he always washed the dishes after dinner and would not let her do it. And this would include times of 20 people over. Um, and that was his, his way of freeing her up from after, you know, cooking huge meals that took tons of time, because um, that was one of the ways she loved to serve her family. Um, he said, no, that that's mine. That's my responsibility. Yeah. Don't enjoy the fruit of your labor. Yeah. I know the word is out on, on Ken, mm. but that's his practice as well. And... Uh, that's good. That's a good way to, to serve guys and to show appreciation for your wife and and all of that. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, something else you can do um, <clears throat> in regards to understanding your wife better. Um, I can walk into the living room, take a look at it through the eyes of dad, through the eyes of the man, and go, have I got anything wrong? <laughs> Everything looks great. My wife can later say, we put the kids down, and we're like, so what are we going to do now? Um, I think I'm just going to go to bed. What are you going to do? She goes, I've got to pick up the house. <laughs> what do you see in that room that I don't see? <laughs> so go with your wife throughout the day, throughout whatever's going on, and say, stand with her up at a room and say, when you look in this room, what do you see? And she'll tell you. <laughs> Carpet's not vacuumed. The magazines aren't the way I want them. There's still games sticking out from underneath the thing there. The pillows are all over the place. And I want to straighten up the bookshelves over there. And you'll just be, a, oh. Okay, file that away. 
and remember that and pay attention to those kinds of things so that when she walks by the room later throughout your life, she sees that somebody's owning those same kinds of things. Um, and then uh, we, we, our big joke with each other is um, whenever I've tried to implement what I think the kitchen should look like, um, the, the big joke is um, she's like, I don't come in your garage and try it. Uh, good point. However you want it, that's how you get it. Um, I'll let you have that one. So ask her, in this room, what do you see when you look at it? And then go from there. Um, your appearance. Oh, guys, your appearance. Let's talk about what you look like. Let's talk about what you smell like on the weekends. Um, we have very low expectations for ourselves when we are at home. And um, I, I've been thinking about this. When, when you get up in the morning and you head off to work, you give your wife the impression as she's leaving that you, you dressed for the day. And when you get home at night, if you're like me, you can very quickly uh, take off whatever you're wearing and, and transform into slob and give her the impression that you don't care anything about what you're stepping into. You would never step that way out into the workplace. You would never step that way out to for the other people that you have to deal with, but you would do that to your family. Wow. What if... All I, all I heard was wife beater. And <laughs> <laughs> that's strike two on the table. <laughs> ben, run. Get to another table. <laughs> Tyler, stop laughing. <laughs> You're enjoying it. You're enjoying it. But um, what, what if, I was asking myself, thinking about this, what if, what if we came home or what if we got up on a Saturday or our wives got up on a Saturday and... They saw us actually like showered, cleaned, shaved. We actually brushed our teeth. Um, and we looked like we, you know what she would say? She would say, where, where are you going? <laughs> Wouldn't she? <laughs> Should she do that? She would say, I'm, 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 I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm right here today. I'm not going anywhere. This is, I want to, you know, we need to give our wives that kind of, that's a way to love her like Christ loves the church. Really simple way. Um, how about waking up and, and going to bed, even at the beginning and the end of the day? And especially as you have kids, um, going to bed and, and uh, getting up in the morning are going to be things you actually have to think about. Um, and, and because we're, we're all different, too, like I'm a morning person and she's a, a, a night person, um, ask her, what... How do you like to go to bed? What, what goes through your mind when you think about getting ready for bed and, and going to bed? Guys, the sex part is the next one. We're not talking about that right now, okay? There are a lot of times you just go to bed and sex is not the issue, okay? Um, in case you didn't know that. Josh, write that down. You wait until we get to the last one. Um, Ask her what when when you guys when you think about when you think about um, drifting off to sleep. Hey, what what's what's on your mind? Uh, what goes through your mind about getting ready to go to bed and everything? 
What's your ideal way to go to bed? Ask her that. Um, ask her how much. How, how do you like to be woken up in the morning? I, I've, I've, whenever I've been, whenever I'm home, I don't set the alarm for Kim. I, I, I want to wake her up. But I needed to learn how to wake her up because I've been up for hours. I'm ready. Hey, okay. <laughs> she looks at me like I'm going to kill you. <laughs> She's not ready to talk, and so I have to I had to learn how to do that. And especially when we we had kids, she wanted to be protected at the front of the day to not have little ones running in the room. So I get the kids up, I wake her up, I I I, I try to be gentle about it. Um, I hand her her Bible and I set it over on my pillow and. She, when, as soon as she wakes up, she rolls over, she starts to read, and then I go out, and then I am the gatekeeper. No children can go into mom yet, because that's what she likes. She wants to be able to have some time to get herself gauged where she wants to be and needs to be. All right. Yeah, don't send them in to wake her up. You th- might think it'd be really fun and cute to watch them. Don't do that. Just, I'm telling you okay, on the last one, uh, there's far more than I could say here, um, or would want to say on the tape, that um, this needs to say it for you. This is probably one of the, the best books, and I've browsed through it twice this week. I haven't read it cover to cover. I've read a, chapters from it, and I've browsed it um, for this, and this really gets to this last point on sex and romance, and it's by CJ, and it's, it's very good. Um, it's not complete. It, it falls short in, in, in ways, and you will want to supplement it in other ways. But this is really excellent. Um, let me just give you a, a couple of things on this since we're already um, out of time here. Guys, everything in all these other areas, it is about self-sacrificing love. It is about dying to yourself and what you want in order to move uh, your wife to where God wants you to be. It is the same in sex. It is the same in romance. It is the same when it comes to sexual pleasure. God did something very humorous. He made you completely unlike your wife physiologically. You are visual for the most part, and she is not. She's emotional. And the way you click and tick and work is not the way she clicks and ticks and works. And you put those two things together sexually, and it it could be a disaster. And huge expectations in marriage, in a man's mind, of what it's going to be like. And her expectations are completely on another planet, and that first night is like, what? Wow. That's what we're, this is, for the rest of my life, this is what, I mean, things can, you have to learn that sex is a wonderful way for you to die to yourself, and for her to die to herself, and that you exist to bring pleasure to her, and she exists to bring pleasure to you, and you die to yourself, and you do whatever it takes to help her and bring pleasure to her, and she dies to herself to the same, and you do not conform her to your expectations and to your likes, and to you've got to talk about this, and it'll be one of the most difficult things to talk about, but you've got to talk about it. And you need to be able to laugh about it. And I'll tell you what, there will be plenty of things in here to laugh about that will help you go, oh, I just take myself way too seriously in the bedroom. I, 
I put way too much pressure on myself. And you need to read this man and some of the things he says. It will make you laugh your head off. Um, things that happen. And um, I don't understand how Carolyn could even want him to write a book like that, but that's okay. Um, he has a phrase or a statement in his book that goes like this. Touch her mind and heart before you touch her body. And this is what um, Tom was talking Cards. about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> A card, coming home with flowers, um, just serving her, doing the dishes, doing an errand for her, whatever, taking the kids out and away, giving her a mommy night out where you stay home with the kids and you cause the house to self-destruct while she's away with the kids. And then you pick it all back up and put it back together before she comes home. Um, touch her mind, touch her heart before you touch her body. That's a great, great point. Okay, so you need to talk. And your role is to have conversations, mealtimes, all these things to be something pleasurable to her. And your role in sex is the same, to lead her to what is pleasurable. Um, and guys, you cannot operate off and from what you have seen in the world, what you've seen on the web, what you've seen in movies. Um, if you operate from that, your wife will be severely disappointed. Um, and you will bring more damage to your marriage. Lastly, number five, um, this kind of love must be joy-filled. Write down Hebrews 12, 2. I'll read it to you and we'll close on this, okay? Hebrews 12, 2. two. I'll, I'll read verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, what? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus saw joy in and through what he had to go do and the love that he expressed on the cross. Your wife can see Jesus' joy in his love at the cross. Can she see your joy through your selfless love that you give? Because if you do all of these things above and in, in all of these different arenas, but it looks like it's drudgery to you to do it, it's worthless. Worthless. There has to be, because she's not going to be impressed when, when you say, you know, this is really hard to do, but I'm doing it. To love you this way in the finances and to love you this way in conversations, it's tough, hon, but I love you. No, you don't. You don't even understand the selfless love of Christ yet. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? Yeah, he did. Because he saw what was going to come. He was God-centered in his love, wasn't he? He knew that his love expressed through the cross was going somewhere and it brought joy to him. You are God-centered in your love for your wife and you know it's going somewhere and your love for her, it brings you joy. And if she can see it in her Savior, she better be able to see it in you. So be joyful in your love. Okay? And I hope your Valentine's evening will be wonderful. Or whatever you do. Should we pray? Let's do it. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Father, I have so much uh, to grow in, to yet be convicted of, to turn from, to forsake. And Lord, there's 
There is evidence of grace. I know we can see in our lives, but Lord, we we want to grow so much more. And I pray for us just as men, as, as husbands, that you would cause us to grow by your grace and your spirit and your word so that we might be godly men, so that we might be able to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And pray that this would be um, something that would really bless our wives, that they would become more holy as a result of our servant love and leadership. And uh, we pray that the church would be strong because we are the kind of men we should be in our marriages. And we pray as a result that you would be seen to be the great God that you are through this church because we have been faithful to your word. And it's only by your grace, God, because we can't do it on our own. So please come and help us today with our wives. Help us um, to implant these things deep inside us if we do not have yet a wife. But work in us so that we are the men you want us to be. And we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.